Well, welcome, 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 everybody. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning as we are in the second week of our One Small Step series. And as we uh, started last week, this series is a five-week series looking at different stories uh, of the Apostle Peter and looking at maybe finding our own journey, different places we are in our walk with Jesus, uh, and seeing how we might be able to relate to different stories uh, in Peter's life, different episodes and different things that he experienced, and how we too uh, might be in different things like that. So if you're newer with us, welcome again. As Kevin said, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, we like to take notes, or at least I like to assume people like to take notes here. So uh, on the inside your notes, uh, inside your bulletin rather, there's some fill-ins. Uh, feel free to do that if you want. You don't have to. But on the back... Um, is a reminder of where we've been. So last week we talked about stepping into faith and how when Jesus steps into our lives, he's calling us to step into a whole new way of life. And so that was kind of where we stood is stepping in. Today, we're going to look at some of Peter's missteps, some of the ways in which he tried to do the right thing or tried to go in the right direction and sometimes completely missed it. Uh, but what might we be able to learn from someone who loved Jesus enough to try and even when there are mistakes, to be able to keep moving forward. And so with that said, our hope is that whether you're brand new to faith, you don't know anything about Jesus yet, and you're here, welcome. We're so thankful that you're joining us. Or whether you've known the Lord for years, welcome. We're so glad that you're joining us. But all of us can today and each day try to take one small step closer to God. One small step closer to being like Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us one small step more to become more like our Savior. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word together? Father, I thank you so much for each and every person that is in this room. I thank you for each person that is listening online later. Lord, everyone who hears my voice right now is deeply loved by you. And Father, if we learn nothing else or if nothing else impacts us from this service today, may the love that you have lavished upon us be that one thing that we know, we know without a shadow of a doubt is, why you want to, is what you want us to learn. But God, we also pray that as we dive into your word that, um, that I would decrease and that you would increase and that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impacting way for each and every one of us. And God, may we receive what you want to give us and may we become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be kind of jumping around a few different sections. We're going to be Matthew 14 will be our first passage. So if you want to uh, go there, it's on page 1524 in the church Bible. Uh, we'll be Matthew 14. We're going to go to Matthew 16. We're going to hit and we're going to end at John 18. But with that said, what I want to do is share Peter was someone that was willing to take a lot of risks. And I'm someone who typically doesn't always like to take risks. Uh, the greatest risk I probably have taken in the past week or so is when uh, Dan and I went to the batting cages and I um, like still hurt my hand uh, because of how many times I swung and I was too late and it's a stinger. So if any of you try to shake my hand and I like either wince or just reject it, it's because I'm in pain. Um, but no, I like to just kind of know what's coming and, and that's hard sometimes because that's not always how life is sometimes. But there are a few ways in which, few areas in which uh, I like, I, I took risks, especially when I was a kid. And that was for love. Um, so when I was uh, nine years old, 
I remember um, there was a, a girl that I liked in my class. There were 22 boys in this class, 11 girls, and it was pretty much the same from kindergarten through eighth grade uh, at a Catholic school up in the Bay Area. And so uh, our, my odds were not in my favor, but still, you know, you got to shoot your shot because you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, which Wayne Gretzky said, and Michael Scott also said, and Wayne Gretzky. Um, but this idea of recognizing that there's this, there's this girl who was in my class, and I liked her. And so I don't know where I got this. But I found like, like the cheapest little ring you could find. And like in class, there's like uh, four desks that are kind of grouped together. And I like, I walk up and I like give her this ring. I don't know what I was expecting. Um, but what I ended up getting was like the ring like thrown back at me. And I don't think it was like, I hate you as a human being throwing back. I could be wrong. I think it was more like, I'm nine, you still have cooties, you weirdo, you know? So I think it's just, you know, it was different. Then a few years later, different girl, um, because there's no commitment when you're nine, a uh, different girl I um, liked in my class. And I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do is I'm going to give her a flower. And so I went to like our front yard and there was this purple flower that I picked off. Um, and uh, I, you know, I, we knew, I'd known where she lived. I knew where everyone lives. It wasn't like weird, uh, but it was kind of weird. So I ended up going and I ride my bike over there, but I'm like, how am I going to transport the flower? And so as I think like a 10, 11 year old, the natural thought was in a Ziploc baggie, of course. And so I put the flower in, I zip it closed and I'm like riding with my hand, you know, in my handlebars and I'm riding over to her house and like I knock on the door and I'm like, you know, here's the flower. And um, she, she was nice, like gracious, but you know, we didn't fall in love. And um, the most awkward part about that story though, at least for me, was that um, like right around the corner, like my mom rode her bike with me. And so she's like watching the whole thing, right? So I'm like, oh man, this is so embarrassing. So, but it's one of those things where you know you, I took a, you take a risk, right? And those times in which you try to you know, get a ring and you get it thrown back at you, or those times in which you try to give a flower and it's just you know, ziplocked and thrown away, like you have those moments, but the thing is that love is, is worth risking for. You know, now it's, it's the, the ability to be able to find someone that when I gave her a ring, she said yes, and we're married, right? Or you give flowers, and now it's something where it's, it's uh, some of the flowers when we first started dating in high school, like uh, she, Steph dried them out, and like we still have them like, um, you know, like saved away somewhere. And so, so it's like when you find the right person or the right situation, like it's worth the risk and you may have missteps along the way, but as the theologian Rascal Flatts said, like God blesses the broken road, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but we look at this idea that loving is worth the risk and that's not just a romantic idea, that, that means even in our walk with God that Peter, he made mistakes and he had missteps. He, he said the wrong thing sometimes, did the wrong thing sometimes, had the wrong mindset about things sometimes. But here's the crux, is that he loved Jesus. He loved him and was willing, excuse me, to take risks to stand up for him, to stand out for him and to step out for him. That we often give Peter in churches, maybe not our church, but in churches, we give him a hard time because you're like, oh, that Peter, he always had his foot in his mouth, or oh, he always made mistakes, and he never quite got it, and oh, you know, it'll be fun to meet him and kind of ask, what were you thinking? Like, we, we have these moments where we could kind of make light of it a little bit, but 
But here's the thing. The reason he said those things and did those things and tried to follow Jesus was because he loved him and he wanted to be near him, to be with him, to protect him, to come alongside him, to follow him. You know, when you work with volunteers, and I'm so blessed to work with so many great ones here and so many great ones at my old church, I would rather have volunteers that you almost have to like, they, they want to try new things and do that. You almost have to like hold them back a little bit rather than people who are kind of just waiting and, and don't step out and don't try to learn new things. And not everyone has that gift of leadership in the same way, but you look at things and you say, okay, what does it look like if people are willing to take risks? And do we love Jesus enough to do that? So my, our main points are usually, and if you've been with us before, they're usually declarative statements, right? Today, there are two questions. But our main points are these two questions, and here they are. Do we love Jesus enough to take risks, even when it leads to missteps? Or do we avoid missteps at all costs, even at the cost of never truly loving Jesus? Are we so comfortable? Are we so comfortable that we will never experience what faith is like, because faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what we do not see. But if we never take a step to, to learn what it means to step out in faith or to follow Jesus where he's calling us, then we will know about him. But will we experience the love that we're designed to have in relationship with him? And this isn't works-based because we don't live by works or we walk by faith. And so what does it look like to have the kind of faith that's willing to step out as Peter did, that's willing to make mistakes, but it's a mistake only in the sense that it was the wrong way to go about the right thing. So they're not, he's not stepping backwards, but there may be missteps. And we're going to look at three different instances and then tie it all together near the end. So um, inside your notes, you're going to see a header that says, um, you know, missteps, mistakes, and risks. And underneath that, the first note says this, that some may say that Peter's life with Jesus was full of missteps. And we see some of those things. But here's the thing. Another perspective is that those missteps were expressions of love for Jesus that were worth the risk. And they may just not have landed. Like, when I give a ring to a nine-year-old, I don't know what I expect, but I expect, you know, something, right? It's like, it's worth the risk. You zip like a flower and you don't know what you expect, but it's worth the risk. And so sometimes there are missteps that Peter took because he loved Jesus and stepped out in faith and risked something. And maybe it was wrong or maybe he didn't quite get it, but it was worth the risk because of his love for his Lord. So let's look here at the Matthew 14 section inside your notes. It says, out of his desire to go where Jesus called, Peter fell into the water. <coughs> Excuse me. Out of a desire to go where Jesus called, Peter fell into the water. We're not going to read the whole section here, but we are in Matthew 14, 22 through 36 is the, is the story. And this is just after the feeding of the 5,000. After the feeding of the 5,000, John 6 is a parallel passage to this, um, and it, excuse me, in the John 6 passage, we see that right after the feeding of the 5,000, the people wanted to make Jesus king. And so Peter, or Jesus kind of said, okay, guys, you guys need to go off of the boat. I need to retreat and to get away from the crowd because my time has not yet come. And this is not what, what I'm supposed to do. I'm not here to be an earthly king, but to enter us into God's kingdom. And so he ends up sending the, the disciples out into the water. John 6 also says they're about three to four miles offshore. 
And it also talks about how uh, it's the third watch of the night. So we're getting close to that like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m.-ish time frame um, in the middle of the night as they're out on the boat. Now, we look here and in... Um, we see how shortly before dawn, jump, picking up the story in verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And in the commentaries I was reading, one of them talked about how when it says take courage, it is I, that phrase, it is I, is grammatically akin to the phrase, I am. It's his de declaration that he is God. It's a declaration of his deity that I am from Exodus 3. It's this idea of, hey, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. And so Peter then picks up the story. He says, uh, verse 28, excuse me. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. He's saying, I want to go where you call me, Jesus. And I don't understand the mechanics and the physics of how you're walking on the water. I mean, you are Lord. But if I want to go where you call me. And if you call me out onto the water, tell me to come. and I'll come. So what does Jesus say in verse 29? Come. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. That in and of itself is a a power, or a picture of powerful faith. And, and we've probably heard this sermon before, this aspect of it, and, and the idea of like, wow, I can't believe Jesus or called Peter, and I can't believe Peter fell. In fact, we continue on in the verses here when, verse 30, we, but when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed onto the boat or into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The John 6 version has a, a detail that Matthew doesn't have that I think is uh, just interesting as well when it says, um, When they walked into the boat, they immediately arrived at their destination on the other side of the water. And you're like, This is just an a crazy, crazy evening for these guys. Feeding the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, Peter walking on the water and falling, and then all of a sudden the storm calms down and they're automatically in their destination. But we see this idea here that Peter says, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. Peter's the only one that gets out of the boat. Right? Like there's, there's a degree of faith in which when he's, he says, all right, if you tell me to go, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to go because I want to be where you call me. I want to go where you have me. And I want to follow your call, even when I don't get it. And so the other disciples were sitting in the boat, and they could have done one of two things. They could have said, well, we're going we're gonna to see how this goes first before we start like having a party on the water. Like We're just going to wait and see, like, you know, what are the physics? How's it going to work? Is he going to fall? Is he going to stand? What's going to happen? And we see that Peter walked out far enough that he walked over to where Jesus was. It wasn't like he was just one step out of the boat and done. It's like he's walking towards Christ. So close to Christ, in fact, that when he falls in verse 30, Jesus is able to pick him up immediately. It's not like Jesus had to run in the water to rescue him. It's Peter had made his way out. And when we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, we're able to experience powerful things. But then like us, Peter got distracted and worried 
and saw the wind, felt the waves, and started to sink. That doubt, that word doubt is this idea of picturing there's a fork in the road and there are two ways to go. And when we follow Jesus, there's one way, but once a second way pops up, it's easy for us to doubt, to be divided. And so here's the thing. Peter gets out, walks on water, starts to, starts to sink, and Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm proud of you for trying, right? That's what I would have thought. I mean, that's what I would have wanted to hear. But he says, you had such little faith. Why did you doubt? And so Peter has to take this walk of shame, or maybe he's carried. We don't know how he gets back to the boat, but he walks back to the boat soaking wet. And the disciples could have looked at, see, that's why I didn't try. (laughs) Or the disciples could have said, well, that call for Peter to follow Jesus, well, that was just for Peter. So I'm going to stay here because he didn't call me to do that. That for some of us, we either wait for somebody else who has great faith and we want to see if they fail before we follow, or we think that it's only the special few that are called to do great things for Jesus. We think it's only pastors who are paid or missionaries who are sent out or whomever it may be. When God is calling you to go across your classroom and to meet students and get to know people and to build relationships with people who don't know God or to encourage students who are struggling, God may be calling you to go across your office and do the exact same thing, build relationships. He may be calling you to go to the same restaurant, to have the same server, to build relationships with him or her, to ask how you could pray for them every time that you eat there in order to build a relationships to know how you could encourage them in their walk. He may be calling you to move. He may be calling you to stay. He may be calling you wherever it may be. But when he calls, do you say, oh, no, I'm going to wait until see how it goes first before I go. Or when he calls, do you say, well, that must just be for other people to hear Jesus' voice and to walk on water. Peter loved Jesus so much. We can mock him and say, I can't believe he fell in the water, but at least he got out of the boat. Are, Are you, am I, are we just in a boat? Because God is the God of comfort, right? Like he comforts us in our pain and our woundedness and our heartache and our struggles. But he's not a God who calls us to always be comfortable. It's a big difference. It's probably weird for Peter that uncomfortable to walk on waves. Like how do you climb over a wave when you're walking? I don't know. But we're not called to be comfortable and live comfortable lives. We're called to go where Jesus calls. So may we, may you, may I, may we have the wisdom to hear his voice, the the relationship to hear his voice, the wisdom to know it's his, and the courage to follow when he calls. See, I don't like to... I don't like to always use myself as the hero of a story, which there'll be fewer or more coming on, which will prove that point. But I remember a time in which we were able to answer the call. That it was two years ago today, February 16th, 2018, that our family packed up, moved down to Poway to be able to be a part of this great church. And so, okay, okay, stop, it's fine. I'm just kidding. No, but, and it's one of those where, let me share this with you. I've shared parts of this. Part of it for me is um, I shared in my past or in my history, um, I learned a few lies that I thought were truths. I think we all have these. 
Uh, one of the lies I thought was truth was that I was unwanted, that people wouldn't want me and um, wouldn't want me to be a part of their lives. And one of the second ones was the lie of being rejected, that I would always be rejected. Maybe it's because I was used to ring thrown back in my face. I don't know. <laughs> but then the third one was this idea that I was, had this fear that I would be a failed hero, that I thought I had to hold my family together when I was 10 years old by being perfect. And so when it didn't, I felt like I was a failure. I couldn't hold it. And again, that's not a pressure anyone should feel. And that's not a pressure my parents put up on me, but it's a pressure I felt. And so imagine going through a senior pastor search process in which you put out a resume and no one calls back and you're unwanted. You have an interview with someone and you're rejected. And then you get so blessed to be a part of this incredible church and you're so excited. And, and in this season, I'm saying, okay, I'm so excited to move down here and to see what God has for us. But what if I fail? What, what if that failure happens and I uprooted my family and all of a sudden things don't work out the way we wanted? Now, I am so thankful for how God has been working, is working, and will still continue to work here at our church. There's no place I'd rather be. But it's one of those things where even if it didn't work out, even if in the first year you guys, oh, go with God, but mostly go to me. You know, like, <laughs> even if that would have happened, would I have rather taken the risk? Is being where I am now with the church that we love, a home that we love, a place that we love, is that worth the risk of it not working out Instead of me being able to just stay at an old job doing the same old things and saying, well, at least this is my boat. I know how to do this. How many of us are still in the boat? How many of us are missing out on what life is like, risking walking on water even if we fail? Are we failing forward because we're trusting Jesus? Are we taking missteps, but our heart is in the right place? Now, this number two there. Number two talks about this idea that not only out of his desire to go where Jesus called did he fall in the water, but out of his desire to help Jesus, Peter was called Satan. That's harsh. Let's go to the context together. Matthew 16, verse 21 and 20, through 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the, church, sorry, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is a harsh rebuke. I remember getting a harsh rebuke at... Um, my old job in which uh, I was part of a, a, a student ministry staff that had uh, high school and middle school at the time. And there was a lead student ministry pastor and I got to serve under him. And we were able to, there's a team of us. And I remember he had put together like a student leadership team where the students, uh, there'd be a set group of leaders who invested in every single week with one of the other pastors that they would build up events and plan things and just kind of create uh, this real dynamic of not just like creating followers, but creating leaders. Um, within the ministry. And so what ended up happening was is they put on an event and they were to plan it. They were to put it all together. And the event went great. Um, and there were some cleanups to still do after the event finished. And so we got into the office the next day and there's all this stuff. And, and the pastor I worked with was basically saying, you know, hey, you know, we should 
you know, we should probably clean this up pretty soon and kind of get ready. And me, I was like, hey, you know what? Like, I think we should probably just let the students do it because they are the ones we're trying to train up to do the entire job. And this is part of it is cleaning up. And I thought nothing of it. And I went out of the room and the office and I came back a little bit later and he called me into his office. We've been friends for 10 years now. This is the only time he got mad at me. And he said, I am so upset with you right now. Like I am shaking because this is not you. You are not someone who kind of pawns off jobs to other people. And this is not who you are. And this is not who we're supposed to be. My thought was, okay, I'm going to, we're going to help people like do it. But how it was received and how it came off was I'm trying to not be a servant leader, just put it off on someone else. And you know, that's not how Jesus called us to be right. Jesus didn't come as one who was served, but as one who came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so he called me on, and I'm like, that is not what I intended, but I hear you. And so that, like, what can I do? So like that moment, we just started cleaning up and putting things back together. I remember just this moment of being rebuked and like, oh my gosh, I totally missed the boat. And so rebukes are important. And, and Jesus was none too clear about the rebuke towards Peter in this moment. Called him Satan. Called him a stumbling block. Told him he doesn't get what's going on here. But let me, let's look at the context, because like in everything in life, context is important. The context of this story is that earlier in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13 and 14, we see that Jesus says, what, who do the people say that I am? And they say, you know, some say a prophet, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some of the other prophets. And then Jesus asks a question that all of us need to have an answer for at some point in our lives. Verse 15, Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? That's a question we all need to wrestle with because that question shapes our lives here on earth and that question shapes eternal life in eternity. So Jesus says, you are the Messiah. Jesus says in verse 16, um, 17, excuse me, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's why something that stood out to me this time. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Why did that verse jump out at me this time? Because I started to think about, we always assume Peter's foolish, what if he just really loved Jesus and was willing to step up and risk? What if he says, Jesus, you told me, you know, a few verses, or in this case, a little bit recently, you told me that if I were to bind something here on earth, that it would be bound in heaven. Jesus, I love you. I do not want you to have to go through this torture, this death at the hands of these people. So this isn't going to happen to you because you've given me the authority and I'm going to say, no, no, no. Jesus, this is not going to happen. Never will this happen to you, Lord. Look at me. I'm taking things. I'm binding it in heaven or on earth. Therefore, you're going to be free of this, Jesus. What if Peter was just trying to help? Notice he doesn't call Jesus out in front of everybody, right? He's not trying to make a spectacle. He's not trying to grandiose and say, never shall this happen to you. Pulls him aside. Says, no, Jesus, never. Never, Lord. And then... Jesus accurately tells him, you're not getting it. Like, you have my human concerns in mind. You don't see God's great picture. You don't see the entire plan. And you don't see why 
me moving forward in this plan is going to be for the benefit of you, Peter, and for the benefit of the entire world. What if we mocked him, we mocked Peter so for being rebuked by Jesus, or rebuking Jesus, but at least he knew that Jesus was the Messiah before. He's the one that proclaimed it first. He's the one that walked out on the water. He's the one who proclaimed it first. So even though there were missteps, his general direction was getting one small step closer to Jesus, even when he fell short. Last point under there. Not only did he fall in the water, not only was he called Satan because he was a stumbling block to the purpose Jesus had been called to do, but out of his desire to stand up for Jesus, Peter cut off Malchus's ear. This is the story of the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas. The, the men start to come to arrest Jesus in John chapter 18, the first nine verses. And there's this beautiful picture about God's power. So we see how they say, you know, who are you here for? It says, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am him. And they all fall down. The entire group of soldiers falls down and then they get back up again. So, you know, who, you know, we're here for Jesus of Nazareth and Peter, or sorry, Jesus says, you know, I already told you um, that I and he, in verse eight, um, he says, if you are looking for me, then let these men, his disciples go. Verse nine says, this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then verse 10 then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? That Peter, surrounded by soldiers, there was only a few on his side, was willing to stand up for Jesus. Did he do it the right way? No. He cut off the ear, and you see in a different section the idea that how Jesus still took the ear of his enemy and healed him, how much he loved his enemies, how we were sinners and far from God, and yet he demonstrated his own love by dying for us. That we see that Jesus had to say, Peter, no, 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 this is not the right way. I need to have the singular focus. Don't be a stumbling block to me. Don't get in my way. You don't see the full picture and don't try to live by the sword or die by the sword. I need to do what God has called me to do. And so Peter struck off Malchus's ear. And we could look at how Peter missed the point by striking off Malchus's ear, but at least he was willing to stand up for him. At least he was willing to fight for who Jesus is and to be bold enough to say, if I die, I'm going to die by the side of my Savior. See, when I first became a Christian, I was over at UCSD, and I may have shared this story. If I did, uh, forgive me, but if I didn't, let's enjoy it. Um, no, actually, this is a story that I, I regret because I was in, it was the first day of class for this large auditorium, a uh, larger lecture hall, probably about 300 or so seats, 350 and I remember sitting there, and I don't remember what the class was. I just remember we were talking through the syllabus. I don't even know why this came up, but I remember distinctly the professor just saying, you know, who in this room, like, actually believes that the Bible is true and real? And I wish I could tell you that as a Christian, after a couple months, my first thought was just raising my hand and not caring what anyone thought. But you know what my first thought was? Is anyone else going to raise their hand too? And I look around. 
you know, one person in the middle does, and, you know, the professor kind of laughs it off, and I don't remember the rest of that, that class. I remember just thinking, why didn't I raise my hand? Why didn't I stand up for Jesus, for what I believed? And I went down uh, after service, and, or sorry, I keep saying after service, after the class, and I asked him some question about, you know, the, from, about the syllabus, like, you know, so was the final at the end of the year or what? Like, I don't know, I just made up something. And then I said, well, just so you know, like, I, you know, I, I believe the Bible is true too. And he just goes, I'm okay. And did, you know, did I kind of somewhat rectify it? Kind of, not really. And, and I feel so bad being like, you know, now someone asked me, like, yeah, absolutely, I believe that God's word is real. But I was young and I was influenced by what people thought more than about what Jesus thinks. And I wish I could say that every time I had an opportunity to stand up for Jesus, that I always did it. But how many of us would be like the other apostles who are just, we we don't stand up for Jesus? Now, let me be clear. 2020 is an election year, right? I'm not going to get into politics, but I am going to say, does that mean by standing up for something that we just go around cutting off people's ears online, right? And just be like, oh, like, da, da, da. No, no, no. We could stand up for what's right and what, where we feel like the Lord's leading us, but we don't just cut off people's ears. What we do is we just say, okay, here's what we stand for. Here's what we believe. Here's how we do that. And yes, we could stand up and speak truth and speak truth in love, but it doesn't mean that we attack. But we could stand up for who Jesus is and what he said. So what does it look like? We see these three different missteps But like Peter, inside your notes, in addition to missteps, maybe times where he tried to do the right thing out of his great love and how we may, out of our great love for Jesus, try to do the right thing sometimes. And even if we make mistakes, we're still trying and intending good. There are other times, in addition to missteps, Peter, like us, also made mistakes that came at a great cost. That he sinned like you and I sin. Our sins, past, present, future. Why is what Kevin shared earlier about the table being past, present, future so beautiful? Well, part of it is because Jesus' body and blood cover our sins in our past and our present and future, what we will do. That we could come to the table and confess and God is righteous and just to forgive us and we're able to have right relationship with him, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is but we see this moment in Peter's life. This, this wasn't just a misstep. I mean, he was trying to follow Jesus through the darkest night of Jesus' life. But we're going to see how earlier in the night, Jesus was talking about how he's going to die. and he's, This is going to happen. And Peter says, even to my death, I will not forsake you. Jesus says, by the end of the night, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Never, Lord. He follows Jesus. And we're going to pick up the story in John 18 now. John 18, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus from the high, uh, into the high priest courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty, and brought Peter in. Verse 17. You are one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. 
Then we're going to jump ahead to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. We're going to, I'm going to invite you guys next week to come because we're going to hit and pull a little bit of a... Um, why is John, who's so intent about writing the story of Jesus and the Gospels. I mean, at the end of John, we see him say that there are many more things that Jesus did that were not written down in this book. In fact, John says, I would believe that if you were to fill all the things Jesus did, there would not be enough pages and enough books and throughout the whole world. So why does John specifically mention warming himself by the fire two times in these short amount of verses? We're going to pull that in next week. So just a little teaser. Um, Verse... Uh, 25. So they asked him, you are one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it saying, I'm not. One of the high priest servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. So this is Malchus's relative. Challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Because you'd think you'd remember the guy who cut off your relative's ear. Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. We've heard this story before. In another version of one of the other Gospels, it talks about how Peter left and wept bitterly. That you and I have fallen short, we've sinned, and we've done things wrong, and we weep bitterly at how we've fallen short. How we've hurt the heart of God, and how our sin, whether it's a small sin that nobody else really knows about, whether it's a large sin that everybody has seen, and anything and everything in between, All of those sins come at a great cost. All of those sins, past, present, future, are sins that Jesus had to bear on the cross for you and for me. It's not a small thing. It's not a small sin. We talked about this in our Acts series a year and a half ago, that there's no sin so small that's beyond God's justice, but there's no sin so great that is beyond his mercy. That we need to remember the idea that he made mistakes, He sinned. Peter sinned. You and I sinned. But here's the beautiful thing that we all need to remember, that there are missteps and there are mistakes and there are risks. And the greatest risk that we see in this story is not Peter walking on water. It's not Peter trying to help Jesus by rebuking him. And it's not Peter cutting off an ear. It's not any of those things. In your notes, out of his love for us, Jesus knew the cost and paid it because he knew loving us was worth it. The risk. Let me ask you something. There are times in which, you know, why, why was it worth it for me to try to give a ring to a girl at uh, nine years old or to try to bring a flower? It's because love was so, I was like, okay, yeah, I want to I see what this could be like. And, you know, we could say things like, I don't want to be hurt by people. So why, why make friendships with people when they may not be there for you when you need them? You might call them up and they might be busy or they might try to you know, say, oh, I, I'm not available. Why open yourself up to that? Maybe when it comes to a relationship, why, why risk getting in a marriage or relationship when you know that you might be hurt? You know that it might not work out. You know that there might be things that divide you and you know that things may be broken and you say, oh, I don't want to risk being hurt. You may say, why even have kids? Because listen, I've heard it said before that the idea of when you have kids, all of a sudden your heart is now on the outside of your body. 
And if something were to happen to your kids, what if they got hurt? What if something, uh, what if they got sick? What if things broke down? What if someone hurt them or took them or whatever it may be? What if they and their, their siblings argue with one another? What if someone that you love so dearly rejects you so fiercely? What happens if all of a sudden they reject their faith in God and you say, what am I doing here? We could say, why risk having kids? Because it could hurt too much. Why risk getting married? It could hurt too much. Why risk building friendships? It could hurt too much. And when we sit in that space of asking those questions, we also must take a step back and say, thanks be to God that Jesus, when he was thinking about the risk he was about to take, he's in heaven with the Father, that God, through all things Jesus was the firstborn of all creation, that through him and in him all things that were made have been made, that he was there with the Father, with the Holy Spirit together, and he knew that if he risked leaving heaven to come to earth, why would he risk being hungry? Why would he risk being thirsty? Why would he risk like skidding his knee? Why would he risk being hurt? Why would he risk pouring into people like Peter who loved him but would ultimately deny him? Why would he risk dying for people that many of which will never acknowledge or receive the gift of his death for their salvation? Why would he do that? Why should we still get in relationships and have kids? Why should we build friendships? Why? Because love is worth the risk. Jesus saw the risk and knew that he was going to die for people that would mock him. He was going to die for people that would curse him. He was going to die for people that would never care to know or receive that gift of salvation. And yet, because he knew that people would, loving us is worth the risk. And that he was raised to new life. He lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, and was raised to new life to give us eternal life. That he made a way where there was no way. He showed us a path when there was none before. He lived life, died a horrible death, and gave us life. And, you know, you hear about, you know, the Super Bowl commercials and how much they cost or how expensive it is to go to, you know, a Super Bowl or a finals or different sporting events or concerts or things like that. And, and you think about, man, is it really worth millions of dollars for 30 seconds of commercials on the Super Bowl? No, of course it's not actually worth it. But someone or something is worth what someone is willing to pay. So Jesus was willing to pay the price for your sin and for mine. How much are you worth it to him? All the sin throughout all of time, all the wrath from sin was impugned upon this fully God and fully man on a cross 2,000 years ago. He bore it all. He paid it all so that we could receive all of the life he has for us. And he knew it knowing people would still reject him. I'm going to close with this quotation from Francis Chan. Before I do, there's just a few questions. Looking at the life of Peter and where we might find ourselves in his life or in his story. One, do we love Jesus enough to risk going where he calls, like Peter did out on the water? Do we 
risk Jesus, or do we love Jesus enough to risk helping? Even we say, hey, I want to help God's kingdom somehow. It may be the wrong thing, but Jesus can use people who want to do the right thing. And we see that through the story of Peter, even when we make missteps. And then do we love Jesus enough to risk standing up for him? Even when there's a world around us who would want to mock him and mock us for it. And Francis Chan in Crazy Love puts forth this, this thought. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Here's, here's where that ties in for this morning. Is that we could live good, safe lives. We, we live in a place, in, a, in an area where there's, you know, for the most part, there's, there's enough affluence that's around us in our culture that we could create a nice nest egg for us in retirement. We could live in a neighborhood that we, we might want to live in. We can go to certain schools that we, we might want to go to. We can have certain careers that are appealing to us. People around the world, not everyone has that opportunity or those opportunities. And so we could say, okay, I'm going to create a good life for myself. And you know what? God would be a great addition to that good life. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we're successful in building our lives upon this world and wanting everything to work out how we want it here without recognition of what Jesus did for us and without recognition of the world to come in eternity with him, then we could succeed in having a good life now and miss out on the great life God has for us for all of eternity. And what would it look like if we said, you know what? There are people who step out in faith. I'm going to stay in the boat. I'm, I'm going to stand back when someone stand, wants to stand up for Jesus. I'm going to stand back and let someone else do it. You know, that, that calling to reach out to people, that's just for pastors or missionaries or special people. You know, that, that calling to be able to go or just call, that's just for others. I'm going to see how it goes first before I take that step. Or do we say, God, I don't know where you're leading me but I do know who you are, and if you're calling me, I'll go. I'll stand up for you. I'll speak about who you are as the Messiah and then risk knowing that I may try to help, but it may be the wrong thing. But through these missteps, we will see next week as you come back that Peter was redeemed in this beautiful life-giving way, even though he had missteps throughout his journey. You and I can be and will be redeemed in this life-giving way, even though we, all of us, have missteps on our journey. And so the question we have isn't, am I good enough? The question I have is, am I, am I um, able to do it? The question is, do you know that you're worth it? Because Jesus thought so. And then the question is, do we love Jesus enough to take risks even when it leads to missteps? Or do we avoid missteps at all costs, even at the cost of never truly loving Jesus? Father, we pray, Lord, that as we are about to sing this song called Heart of God, Lord, that you would give us your heart. God, that we would surrender all to you, that would freely give it to you, that we would know that like Peter, we don't have all the answers. We don't know all the things. We may try and take missteps and not quite get it right. But if our heart is rightly aligned with you, you can even use your missteps, or our missteps, excuse me, for your glory. So God, I pray that you would give us the faith and the love of Jesus that Peter had. You give us the wisdom to hear your call. That you would give us the courage to follow you. 
that you would give us your heart, O oh God, so we could become more like you, so we could show other people, Jesus, just how much they were worth your life, death, and resurrection, so they may have eternal life too. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.